Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this weekend, uh, Roger and Glenda are in the UP, and if you don't know what that is, it's because you're not from Michigan. Um, Glenda's speaking at a women's retreat this weekend, and Roger's there preaching in Marquette. So I am filling in today. Although it does help, it does help when I get up here to start and I'm getting ready, and one of the kids, one of the teens, walks over and goes, "Are you preaching today?" Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to take it, and I'm going to run with it, and she's going to bury her face and hide because she's now embarrassed. So two weeks ago, I started talking about forgiveness. Um, we talked about how if we have been forgiven, then we have no choice but to forgive. It's not about how we feel or if there's been some kind of reconciliation, but it's about a decision to give a more limited form of grace than we ourselves have received from God. This decisional forgiveness does not mean that we have ceased to be in pain, but that we have made a conscious decision to move on towards a place of healing from that pain. Scripture even goes so far as to tell us that if we refuse forgiveness, we put ourselves in a position as the sinner and become the one in the wrong. Applying our passage from Romans to the topic of forgiveness can become become a hassle. Because if we look at it again, and we look at some of the things that Roman tells us, remembering that to not forgive is sin, we should begin to understand that every place the word sin appears in that passage, we can replace it with unforgiveness. And then it gets difficult. So to do this, we're going to read this again. Um, but this time, we replace each word where it says sin with unforgiveness. It applies specifically to what we're talking with. It says, So you too consider yourselves dead to unforgiveness and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let unforgiveness reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to unforgiveness as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For unforgiveness will not rule over you, because you are not under the law under grace. Suddenly the tone of that verse seems to change dramatically, doesn't it? It becomes a lot more personal. But the narrowing of the context of sin to specifically address unforgiveness, this is a big word, and I'm sorry, is exegetically correct in every way. It means that we're not doing a disservice to Scripture, but that is an accurate interpretation. Look at some of the implications of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness reigns in our mortal body. It becomes a weapon of unrighteousness, and it rules over us. Is anyone else here uncomfortable with the idea of anything ruling over you? Not being in charge, not having control over your own decisions? It's hard enough to give it over to God, who is making good decisions and has our best interests in mind. But now understanding that we're giving control and rule over our lives to something that wants nothing but pain and misery for us. Why would we ever take that? So as we continue to talk about forgiveness today, this is the aspect that I want to begin to address. Is that unforgiveness takes our story away from us. It takes control away and our story begins to be wielded like a weapon. Today's world, let's just face it, anybody who's turned on the news, anybody who's watched anything, anybody who's read a newspaper, it's a world in which our pain has become greatly publicized. 
shootings in schools, sexual abuse being perpetrated repeatedly against the vulnerable and defenseless, acts of modern racism, as if we can call it modern. Our culture has put an emphasis on not allowing things to hide in the shadows. Things like the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, and other forms of activist movements, they, they might do well to call out wrong, but they rarely do well to provide a good path towards healing and reconciliation. Forgiveness rarely enters the narrative as we talk about these issues. The pain is just too great for us to ever be considered a possibility. But how can we forgive so great an offense? I mean, let's be honest, isn't that sound contradictive to justice? Is there no place for justice and forgiveness? They should get what they deserve. But if they get what they deserve, then we're confusing punishment with justice. We understand that these two are not the same thing. Let's not even begin to discuss, though, however, let's, let's not even get started to discuss getting what we deserve. Because otherwise, if we start talking about that, conversation might just get a little too personal, right? Let's not address that. We'll stay away from that part. But remember that our foundation for forgiveness rests in the forgiveness that has been given to us by God the Father. Wow, let's talk about undeserved. So forgiveness is not the opposite of justice. It does not pretend that nothing ever happened, but what it does do is provide a restorative process back from what has happened. Justice that is founded in our Christian faith is more interested in restoration than it is in retaliation. It's the recognition that what has been done is the result of a sickness. We are not well, and neither are they. We all need to be brought to a place of healing. Justice should be for the purpose of reforming and healing the one who has committed the injustice. Now it becomes justice and something more than just punishment. So much of this is lacking in our justice system because of its inability to reform and to restore. Listen to this paragraph from Brian Zand's book, Unconditional. Listen to it and let it penetrate your soul. Listen to it and let it speak to you. Try to answer honestly, but maybe not aloud. Because if you answer it aloud, we might get into that uncomfortable portion where we start talking about getting what we deserve. So just listen. What is your story? Who has been cruel to you? Perhaps bitterly cruel. What injustice have you suffered? Have you been mistreated? Perhaps miserably so. Who has cheated on you? Who has abused you? Who has mistreated you? Lied to you. Lied about you. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was a lifetime ago. As you remember your suffered injustice, how does it affect the way that you view the future? Or let me put it this way. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to get even? A chance for payback? An opportunity to exact your revenge? If so, you have no future. Here's the strength of those words. If so, you have no future. Because we cannot move forward. We cannot become anything more than we are right now until we are able to let go and forgive. Desmond Tutu coined the phrase, no future without forgiveness, in his book detailing the reconciliation process in South Africa. When we cling to unforgiveness, it becomes a chain on our lives. 
Remember Paul's calling out in the Romans. What he's calling on them is do not let sin rule over you. Don't allow it to become a weapon used for unrighteousness. Because that's what happens when we let these injustices cling to us and we refuse to let go, we become a weapon. You can always tell the person who can't let go of a wrong committed against them because they start committing wrongs against the people around them. When we allow these injustices to cling to us, they take over our story. It poisons the presence and it dictates our future. We are who we are. Our very identity becomes linked to the injustice. I become the one who has been lied to, the one who has been cheated on, the one who has been abused. My identity becomes that of the victim. And as long as I am the victim, I can be nothing more. Because that is who I am. What happens to those who make their identity to be the victim is that they become the perpetrators. One common theme you'll find within these stories of all these, whether it be a school shooting, whether it be abuse, or whatever it be, it, it seems to always come back to, you listen to their story, and there's something that they're holding on to, something that was done to them. Something that was done against them that they never let go of. And because they never let go of it, the bitterness just built and built and built until the unthinkable became thinkable. They held on to the injustice, and the one who was lied to has suddenly become the liar. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 with me. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's time to retake our story, to reestablish our identity, and most importantly, to remember who we are. We are not the thoughts that keep us up at night. We are not the hate that has been perpetrated against us, and most certainly we are not victims. We are the chosen people of God, His special possession, who, has been, who have received His mercy. And so give it freely. We cannot have life until we reclaim our story. And we reclaim our story by forgiveness and by reestablishing our true identity in Christ. Miroslav Volf puts it this way, evil needs two victories to win. The first pierces the flesh, while the second pierces the soul. The first is the injustice done against us, and then the second is the bitterness that rises up within us and takes hold and keeps us up at night and grows and grows until we can't even possibly think a single good thought about that other person. Without that second victory, though, evil cannot overcome us. And ultimately, it cannot win. Good can have the final word, no matter what the situation in our lives. Taking back our story means letting God have the final word in every experience we go through. And we need to understand God's word is forgiveness. Let me give you an example. Two weeks ago, I briefly mentioned the school shooting that took place in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. I'm going to share a little bit more about it today. Eleven and a half years ago, on October 2nd, 2006, a 32-year-old man walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse armed with a gun. He ordered all the boys and the adults to leave and then proceeded to tie up ten little girls, ages 6 to 13, he shot each of them 
killing five before taking his own life. Absolute mess. What an atrocity. I mean, surely if there's any moment where we can say, now is when we should be angry. Now is when we should get back. Now is when justice needs to be served and they need to be punished. This was surely it, right? But as these Amish families waited together in a barn to hear news about their daughters, one of them left the group, went to the man's went to the house of the man's parents to share with them one simple message. Stop and picture it for a second. You get that opportunity. What's that one message going to be that you're going to give to them? All right, now let's repent of that and let's move on. His message was, don't leave town. The community did not see them as enemies, but as parents who were grieving just like them. The man looked at the father, put his hand on his shoulder, and called him friends. After the funeral of their own daughters, the community then went and attended the funeral of the shooter. In fact, they outnumbered the mourners from his own family. They invited his parents to come and to meet the families of those girls. And they gathered and they grieved together. An incredibly unthinkable relationship emerged. The mother of the shooter, Terry Roberts, she invited the women to her home, where they now gather on an annual basis for the last 11 years. One of the girls, Rosanna, who survived, is forever in a wheelchair, unable to speak or feed herself. But Terry visits every Thursday to bathe, read to, and spend time with Rosanna. Somehow, she became a part of their community. Three, year, three years ago, Terry developed stage 4 breast cancer. And another girl who had survived the tragedy was in that house and had been shot while she was in the hospital. While, while Terry was in the hospital, she went to her home to clean and prepare it for her so that she was ready, it was ready for her when she came back from the hospital. And then at Christmas, shortly after she'd been released from the hospital, the Amish children filled a bus, went over to her house, and sang Christmas carols to her. Their forgiveness not only brought healing to her, but to their own community as well. Listen to what's written in an article ten years later in the Washington Post. It says, Nothing about her new reality, about coming to terms with her son's demons, has been easy. But it would have been unthinkably harder without her Amish friends. No one could ever imagine on that day that something like this would be formed from it, she said. Because of the response of forgiveness, we were able to heal. Frankly, we have so many shootings in our country that within a year or two, most of them just end up being forgotten. But notice that this tragedy didn't just deserve an article in a newspaper ten years later, but that the article has nothing to do with shooting. It has everything to do with forgiveness. I have uh, actually printed up that article for you. If you are interested in it, and that story interests you, if you want to have that powerful story of forgiveness in front of you that you can read and be inspired by, that's actually outside on one of the tables here. You can grab them on the way out. Um, I encourage you to read the whole of it. Um, it's, it's an interview with the uh, mother talking about all the things that she went through talk, um, going through that. It's, it's a pretty incredible story. But... What's happened in this story 
is that evil committed a despicable act. That cannot be denied. It's an unthinkable tragedy that occurred. But the story is not remembered because of that evil. Instead, something else took possession of that story. Something else stole that story from the evil deed that's been done. It changed the narrative and it redeemed it. Evil thought it had won the day, but for some reason bitterness could not take root. Evil faced defeat in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Because of forgiveness, they took possession of their own story and they refused to allow it to be, to be ripped from their grip. This is what it means to take our story back. It means to let go of control, to let go of bitterness, and to forgive without reservation. Not because I feel like it, or because it doesn't hurt anymore, but because I've decided to. Or better yet, maybe in a more, more, maybe in a more familiar tune, because I've decided to follow Jesus. Will our story be defined by tragedy or by overcoming evil? When we've been wronged, we stand on the edge, and just like Cain in the book of Genesis, sin is crouching at our door, and it desires to have us. We've been designed with a purpose and an ability to to wreak either great damage or to wreak great good. Don't don't, Don't underestimate the impact of your words, your actions, and your hate or your love. Paul said that we are a weapon. When sin reigns, a weapon for unrighteousness. But when the Spirit reigns, through forgiveness, a weapon for righteousness. Unforgiveness, sin, it can rule over us, but it does not have to. God has provided a way, a path towards healing that will not only help us move on, but it will redeem the narrative. It will reclaim the story. Remember it within the confines of the redemptive acts of Jesus' death and resurrection. We are not sinners, and we are not victims. We are children of the Most High God. That is our story, and nothing can take that away from us. The only way we can lose that is to give up on it, to give up on forgiveness, to give up on a God that is bigger than all tragedy and evil. Today, step back, take a deep breath, hand your story over to God in heaven. He can care for it much better than you ever could. Trust his method, even if you don't understand it. Give it a chance, even if you don't feel like it. It's not just a way to healing. It's the only way to find healing. Thank God that he is able to redeem every moment. Because he is the great redeemer, the great healer, and the great forgiver. As we close today, If you wish to take on the Lord in baptism or in need of prayer, I welcome you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.